So I would just like to open us up in prayer. Okay. Father, we just praise you and thank you that we can come before you. I thank you for this group of women here who have come, Lord, to learn of you. I pray, Lord, that uh, today will be enriching. Your Holy Spirit will guide and direct Jenna. I pray for encouragement, Lord, for each one of the women today. And, Lord, that they would uh, see you and sense you in a much greater way. And I pray, Lord, that you would be forming wonderful relationships, Lord, so we have someone that can come along and walk this journey with us. And we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Oh, man, maybe like a little bit more energy this morning. Good morning, ladies. Good to see you. I see all the front rows are empty. That is typical. No one wants to be close to me. That's okay. Um, it's really, really good to see your faces. It's good to be back. Uh, I hope for those of you who are returning, this is like a really awesome day where you're excited to be back here at Bible study, excited to be in fellowship with one another again. I have been looking forward to this day for quite a while, so I am glad to be back to the consistency of gathering together and being in God's Word. If you are new here today, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Um, I'm going to kind of start here today by just giving us a little bit of an idea of the general format, like how Bible study works. Um, you might be a little bit concerned because you're coming in and you're like, what are we even going to talk about today? Like, we just got our workbooks. Um, we're going to talk about expectations for Bible study. We'll talk a little bit about why we study the way that we do. And then we will also do what we like to call, like, reading the envelope. So, like, think about when you get a letter in the mail. Before you even open that letter, what do you do? You look at some things on that envelope, like when was it sent and who did this come from? Who's it addressed to? And so we're going to answer some of those questions about the book of 1 Samuel today. We'll be asking some of those who, what, where, when, why questions. And so that is our purpose for gathering today. Um, if you're gathering here in person, we're going to meet here every single week in this large group room first for about 45 minutes. And this is where you're going to get the live teaching portion of our time together. If you're meeting on Zoom, you guys are going to watch this video first before you actually go to your one-hour Zoom session. So then during that time, you can be talking about the live teaching and the homework. Um, but one caution that I want to make for you guys is that when you come in here, the assumption that we're going to make is that you have spent time in the text, right? That you have looked over the text, you've been doing your homework to the best of your ability, you've been reading the text of 1 Samuel, and so you're not coming in here without knowledge of what we are teaching, we are kind of used to like a Sunday morning sermon type of routine, which is okay. That is a Sunday morning sermon. But we're used to like coming into church without reading the text beforehand, getting information from somebody, and then just walking out. But we want Bible study to be a little different. You hear that word study in it. We want to have critical thinking skills around this text. And so the assumption is going to be that you come in here having studied this material a little bit. We assume that you're going to come in here with some opinions about the text. And that is a good thing. Obviously, I and Carolyn and Sarah, those are our, these are our teachers. We're going to come in here thoughtfully prepared. We will be prayerful about what we're going to teach. Um, but we also want you to come in prepared as well. And one of the things I love best is when I am done teaching and someone comes up and they're like, hey, I actually did not agree with like this thing that you said. I, I love that because that means that you studied, that you have some opinions around the text. And the truth is, is that when you open any commentary, if you have three commentaries 
in front of you, they're all going to differ a little bit. And so it is okay to walk out of here and maybe feel a little bit differently about something that was taught. Um, and that means that you have firsthand knowledge of what it was that you studied. And so that is a wonderful thing. After we're done with the live teaching time, what we will do every single week is we will then split into small groups. And the small groups are located like just right down the A-wing hallway. Um, so you'll see we'll all kind of move out from there. And that's where you'll gather together and you'll spend some time going over the homework first and then going over the live teaching. The reason why we emphasize homework first is because you have spent far more time studying the text than you have actually been listening to a, a discussion or a sermon on that text. And so we want to emphasize homework first. And so that is your time to ask questions like, hey, I left this question blank. I have no idea what they were looking for here. Or like, hey, did anyone, ha this is what I put for this answer, but I'm not really sure. So that's your time in a small group to be able to work through those things. And notice, I'm already saying, like, there's probably going to be times where you're not sure. That's okay. Like, you're going to have blanks in your homework. That's all right. It's also a time in your small groups where you can kind of talk a little bit about what you liked or disliked from the live teaching. Did it add to what you studied during the week? And then you will also spend some time in prayer. You are going to have some daily homework that you're going to work through. Those are those red workbooks that you received when you came in. And today when you go to your small group time, you will actually spend some time discussing that workbook. Um, how is it set up? What are the questions like? How do you divide that into daily homework? Or what, what might it look like to work through that in a week? And so you'll spend time going through those workbooks with your small group leader today. And you should have your small group leader assignment. That should be on the paper that you received today. Um, that had the semester schedule. So if you are missing that, just let me know um, after the live teaching time and we'll make sure we get you that assignment. There are two different groups. Um, I do want to highlight that Wilma's group is being covered by Paula today. So that if you are Wilma, you are going with Paula. You also received a semester calendar when you came in and that gives you all the information that you need about when we are meeting the semester. You're going to see that this is an 11-week study, but we're only gathering for 10 weeks. So we will have a mid-semester uh, mid break. We kind of moved it past the midpoint, because if you will notice, Halloween is going to fall on one of our days. And so we made that our fellowship week. That way, you don't have to choose between whether or not you're going to go do trick-or-treating with kids or you're coming to Bible study. Um, we'll leave that to you, and we'll just make that a fellowship time. So if you are able to gather on that day, um, the 31st will be our fellowship time time together, okay? And we will talk more about that as it gets closer. Um, so what I would like to do a little bit right now is talk a little bit about how we study the Bible and what it looks like for you when you spend time alone studying the Bible. Um, and I first want to kind of consider the question why. I'm hoping or thinking you have some reason as to why you're here today. Um, it might be like, oh, I've never learned how to study the Bible before, or like I love 1 Samuel and I was really wanting to do this Bible study, or maybe it's just like I really just want to hang out with people during the day and I needed something to do. Those are all great reasons why, um, but I want to point us to maybe another reason why, and it's found in Matthew 22, verse 37, and that verse says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, we talk about this every semester of Bible study, that it is wonderful to love the Lord with our hearts, and I think sometimes as women, we're, we find that easier to do, to love God with our hearts. Um, that's not necessarily a hard thing for us, um, but sometimes we struggle with the mind part of it. Um, Jen Wilkin has a quote. She says, the heart can't love what the mind can't know. And I think that is so true. If you think about anybody that you love, 
you know them, right? You spend time asking them questions about who they are because in order to love that person well, you need to know who they are. And the same is true with God. If we want to love our Heavenly Father well, we have to know them. And one of the ways that he reveals himself to us is in his word. And so my hope and my desire is, is that through Bible study, we're not just gaining knowledge just to gain knowledge, but we are gaining knowledge in order to more rightly love our Heavenly Father. And so that kind of leads us to our question that we are going to ask as we study the Bible. Um, when we are studying scripture, at least maybe when I am studying scripture, one of the things I am tempted to do is I am tempted to open up the Bible, look at a passage, and think, what does this tell me about me? Because I'm selfish, right? I open the Bible, and I think, like, I have this major problem that I am struggling with, or this is something that's weighing heavy on my heart, and I just want to look at this verse, and I want it to tell me what I can do to fix that, or I just want it to tell me how to behave or how to live rightly. And the Bible can do those things. I'm not neglecting that. But I think first and foremost, one thing that we have to remember is the Bible is a book about God. It is a book about God and how he loves his people. And so as we look at Bible study, our main pursuit is going to be of God. And this really does change the way that we read and we interpret things. We will definitely think about ourselves. We're definitely going to try to apply the biblical text to our lives. But I would challenge you that we can only do this rightly when we first think of it through the lens of what does this text tell me about who God is. So as you do homework, you're going to notice a couple different things. First of all, you're going to notice that you're going to be asked to read repetitively, like again and again and again. And it might get old because like you're like, I've already read this portion of the text. Read it again. You will pick up more and more things every single time you read. Um, you will notice when you first turn to your very first homework page, the first thing it's going to have you do is read the entire text for that week. And so on day one, you might read three or four chapters, depending on how much we are covering. And so you will read through that whole portion. And then as you go on in your homework, you're going to have to read those sections again as you begin to answer questions. You are also going to be reading in context. When we say we are studying 1 Samuel, we mean we are studying all of 1 Samuel. We're not just going to pull out some stories. We are reading through the story, verse by verse. Um, so if you've never done that before, I hope you'll really enjoy what reading in context can do for us as we study scripture. Your homework questions are also going to be layered, so they're going to get a little bit different as you go. Um, you'll notice that you have some basic questions that are typically asked first, and we call these comprehension questions. And so it's basically just asking, what does the text say? And so it might ask you to count things. It might ask you how many times an author says something. It might ask you, you know, just a question. You just have to fill in the answer based on what the text says. Those are pretty easy questions normally because we're just looking at the text and answering. And then it will move you to interpretation questions. And then it's asking, what does the text mean? And here, we're going to be cautioning you and trying to train you a little bit because we typically try to say, well, what does the text mean to me, right? But we want to hold off on that. And we want to instead ask the question first, what does the text mean to the original audience? We'll spend a lot of time talking about this. This is a historical narrative. And so we're going to spend a lot of time thinking, what did the author mean to intend to the audience that he was originally writing to. Then we'll move to application, and this is where we want to apply it eventually to us. But first, we're going to ask the application question of, what does this passage teach me about God and who he is? 
And then because of that, because of God, who God is, how does that change the way that I need to live? So see how we eventually get to ourselves, but it's delayed, right? Because first we want to think through the lens of who God is. And so those are kind of the steps that you will go through as you study, and you'll see those in your workbooks. Now, one thing we would ask of you guys as you study and read, we would be asking that you avoid commentaries and that you avoid study Bibles. So if you have a study Bible that you use, if you are disciplined and you can, like, cover it and not look, good for you. That is wonderful. I could not do that. So you could maybe use your phone if you have a phone app instead or a different Bible. But we encourage you to avoid study Bibles, avoid opening commentaries until after you come to small group time and you've gone, gone through the live teaching. And the reason why is because we want these answers to come from you. We want this to be your opinion and your thoughts because what typically happens if we just Google something or we open up a first commentary, we're going to look at that and the first opinion we see, we're going to accept that as fact. And then it's going to be really, really hard to change our minds and we're going to see the text through that point of view. And so we want you to develop your own critical thinking skills around the text first and then absolutely go ahead and seek other sources. I also want to encourage you that it's okay to come in and have some unknowns or to have some questions. We talked about this a little bit already. We don't like the tension of not knowing things. We're really used to being able to be like, oh, hey, Siri, um, hey, Alexa, like, give me the weather today. And we just get an answer right like that. Um, we're not used to not knowing things or having uncertainty. And so what I want to encourage you, though, is that the learning process works best when we allow ourselves to dwell in a little bit of uncertainty. And so I want you to think back to the last time you were in school, okay? Think back to what it was like. Some of you are like, oh, man. <laughs> think back to the last time you were in school. When you had a subject that you were kind of struggling in, and slowly over time, meaning began to build until suddenly you had a light bulb moment. That is the area, that was the time when you learned the most. Those things stick with you. But when you just get the quick answer, when you look at your friend and fill in the notes that they had, or you Google something and get a quick answer, you're, very, you're not very likely to remember that. And so the dwelling in the tension of the unknown is purposeful. It's not because we want you to feel like uncomfortable when we you come here. It's because we want you to learn. We want these truths to stick with you. We want God to slowly, through his Holy Spirit, work in us over time so that we build meaning around the text. Okay, so please feel free. If you have questions that are blank on your workbook, that's okay. If you have questions where you wrote something and put big question marks, that's okay. I do too. And that is an all right thing to do as you come into Bible study. I also want to remind you that these commentary times, these live teaching times are commentary. So when I teach, when Carolyn McNichol teaches, when Sarah Hart teaches, these are our opinions, right? Yes, again, we thoughtfully prepare. We look at other commentaries. We are studying and thinking how we want to present the material. But we are presenting material in about 35 to 45 minutes. And so we cannot cover everything there is to cover on the text. So if you want to go home and look at other commentaries or other materials, please feel free to do that. Or again, if you walk out of here and you think like, you know what, I had a slightly different take on that portion of the text. That's okay. And that's why we learn in community. There is nothing wrong with that. 
Some things that I would encourage you to do as you study, um, use cross-references. When you open up your Bible and you're reading the text, you'll see little subscripts that will take you to other portions of Scripture. Use those to help you. So if you are reading a passage and you're like, I am really not sure what they are getting at here. If you see a cross-reference, follow it to another place in the Bible because Scripture confirms Scripture. And sometimes a different place in the Bible will help clarify what the author is intending to say. You can use dictionaries to look up words. I would encourage that. You'll see actually that requested sometimes in your homework. You can also use different Bible translations. So if you ever get stuck on something and you're reading a passage and you're like, that just does not make sense to me, switch to the NIV or to the CSB or just another Bible translation and just see if that change of language clarifies anything. Sometimes that is incredibly helpful. I would say that um, translations like the message, I would consider those a commentary. So those are great to use. Just hold off on using those until after the live teaching time. Another thing that will be helpful to you is you have a map in the back of your books. And so in your workbooks, you will find a map of ancient Israel. You're going to need that um, because you're going to find that there are lots of battles in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, the ark does some traveling around the, the nation of Israel. And those different cities will help you to understand the movement and what is happening. So use that map um, and enjoy being able to have that because I think it will be a helpful tool for you for sure. I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to open up to page 11 in your workbooks. You're going to find there that there is a note page for you that you can jot down some information as we go through the rest of our time here together. Um, but what we're going to go ahead and do now is talk a little bit about why we, why we are studying 1 Samuel, why this was chosen, and then also answer some of those who, what, when, where questions that you have listed there. So let's go ahead and start with that question of why. Um, why Old Testament? Why 1 Samuel? Um, Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so I think that's a really awesome reason why to study the Old Testament is because the books of the Old Testament provide us with instruction and they provide us with hope. And the truth is, is we cannot fully understand the New Testament until we understand the Old. There are truths and there are things that are written in the Old Testament that help to illuminate Scripture for us. There's some beautiful themes that are going to start here in 1 Samuel. We're going to see the theme of an anointed one begin here. And we know that that is a theme that is carried into the New Testament in Jesus. We're also going to see themes of God's sovereignty all throughout this text. And so that is part of the reason of why we chose this book. I also want to go ahead and talk a little bit about historical context because we don't want to just jump into a book of history without knowing the history that came before. And so as we open up the pages of 1 Samuel, what we're going to notice is we're going to see that Israel is now in the promised land. They're in Canaan, but they're relatively new to this area, and they are surrounded by 12 different tribes that we're going to be hearing about over the next couple weeks. In particular, there is one tribe that's going to cause trouble over and over and over again, and that is the Philistines. 
Okay, so that is where they are. But I want to back up a little bit in the text of the, uh, the story of the Bible and just make sure that we understand where they came from. Okay, so we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, and we're just going to do a brief highlight through the first couple books of the Bible. And in the book of Genesis, we saw the world created, but the other thing that we saw was the creation of the nation of Israel, right? This is where God called Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a nation. And so we saw God elect a people for himself. We also see at the end of Genesis in chapter 49 that we are given a promise that there is one day going to be a king who's going to come from the line of Judah. And so that, that promise is going to be important as we come into this narrative of 1 Samuel. Then from Genesis, we move into the book of Exodus, and we see that we have God's people who are enslaved. We see God deliver them through the waters of the Red Sea, and he then gives them his law, right? And then the books of um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all highlight how God instructs people to live with this law as his people in a foreign land. And in the book of Joshua, we see them then go into this foreign land. They finally get to leave the wilderness. They go into the land of Canaan, and we see their conquest of this land. But there's something really important that happens in the book of Joshua that impacts what we're going to read. And that is that the people of Israel did not subdue their enemies. They were commanded to subdue their enemies, but when they go in, they don't fully do that. And that's going to lead to some of the tension and problems that we are going to see as we read the book of 1 Samuel. We then move into the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we see that there are 12 judges who rise up in Israel. Um, and they are highlighted and they kind of rule over various tribes. And it's important to know that these judges did not rule over all of Israel. There was no real unification under one leader. But instead, the judges would rule in one particular place over one particular time for a time period. And then they would kind of die off. And as we read the book of Judges, what we begin to notice is that each judge judge gets a little crazier and crazier as we go on, and we see the nation of Israel descend into kind of like a, a state of chaos. So things are not good in Israel as the book of Judges ends, and in, in fact, it ends with this verse. This is Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So that's how the book of Judges ends as we go into the book of 1 Samuel. It was a season of very little hope. And that's important for us to realize as we enter into the book of 1 Samuel. And then finally, we have the book of Ruth, this small book right before we get to Samuel. And how does Ruth end? But with this little genealogy that mentions David right? And so Ruth gives us this glimmer of hope of like this David guy that we now know is to come. And so as 1 Samuel opens, we're going to notice a couple things as you begin to read this week. We're going to see that dysfunction still exists. That state of chaos that we saw at the end of the book of Judges is still here. And so in, in particular, we're going to see that there are three problems that exist in the nation of Israel. There are going to be three problems that we're going to see right away. First of all, we are going to see that there is a leadership crisis in the nation of Israel. So first of all, there is a leadership crisis. As 1 Samuel begins, we're going to see that there has not been a judge since Samson. Okay, So it has been a long time since they have had a leader. We're also going to see that the priesthood is in dysfunction. 
It is in complete dysfunction. We're going to be presented with this priest named Eli next week, and we're going to see that although Eli has a heart towards God, he is a weak leader. He has allowed dysfunction to continue in the nation of Israel. He has allowed dysfunction to exist in his own family, and we're going to see right away that his own sons are going to be the reason for his demise. And so we're going to see that there's this leadership crisis that exists. Secondly, we're going to see as we open up 1 Samuel this week that there are external problems. There are problems outside of Israel. In particular, there is this nation called the Philistines that are growing in size and number, and they are going to be a constant threat to the nation of Israel. And then lastly, number three, we're going to see that the people have rejected God's leadership. As a reminder, we ended Judges with that line, in those days there was no king over Israel, everyone did as they saw fit. And we're going to see that we are still existing in that same place. We have a group of people who have rejected God's law, who are living in any way that they want, and they do not have a leader over them. And so this is what we see as we begin in 1 Samuel. We see lack of leadership, a threatening army, and a nation that has abandoned God's law and does what they please. But we're going to see a glimmer of hope because as you read this week, we're going to see the birth of Samuel. And there's going to be this hope that starts to dwell on the horizon for the nation of Israel as we see Samuel called by God and given a word for the people. So let's go ahead and start to answer some of these questions in your workbook. And we're going to start with that question of who. Who wrote 1 Samuel? It's not Samuel. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's not Samuel. It's named after Samuel, but he was not the author. And we know this because Samuel dies before the end of the story. He's going to die before David comes to power. Um, so we know that Samuel is not the author. We actually don't know who the author of 1 Samuel is. The author is anonymous. We do know that it was probably a collection of multiple sources. And so most likely this was history written by multiple authors that was brought together into the text of Samuel. We also have to remember that originally there wasn't a 1 Samuel and a 2 Samuel. It was just the book of Samuel. We have it split into two books, probably because it was recorded on two different scrolls. Uh, but the book of 1 Samuel has 31 chapters in it, and the book of 2 Samuel has 22. So that's a total of 55 chapters that are going to cover this history for us. This means that we are going to move through this narrative at a pretty rapid pace. If you did 1 John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with us last semester, and you saw how slowly we moved through those verses, this is going to be a little bit different of a feel. You're probably going to be studying about two to four chapters a week so that we can get through these sections in 10 weeks. Your next question asks, to whom was this book written? Well, it was written to the nation of Israel, the nation of Israelites who were living in Canaan and who wanted a king, and it was written to remind them of their history, to see how they got to where they were and why. We also always have to remember, though, that it is also written to us, that God's word is living and active, and as we read this, our lives are going to be changed as well. As we first interpret it through the lens of what the author intended for the original audience, once we understand that, we're also going to seek to apply it to our own lives as well. When was this book written? Well, the book of 1 Samuel covers about 110 years of history. And so this is kind of a book that goes overarching through this history of Israel. So 110 years in history. And really, it's just providing us a snapshot of a few different major moments in that history. 
And we aren't told dates in the narrative. So we don't really know when exactly it was written, but we can make some guesses. Um, we know that it was written sometime after the death of, death of David because it doesn't mention David's death. So most likely it was written after David's death. And most likely it was written before the invasion of the Assyrians. That was a major moment in Israelite history. So the fact that that is not included tells us that it was probably written before. And so historians place it somewhere between 972 to 722 BC. So sometime between 972 and 722 BC. What style is it written in? Um, this is such an important question for us to ask because we are studying a piece of literature. Sometimes we struggle when it comes to the Bible because we're like, well, it's God's word, but it is also literature. It is a book. It was written by a human author inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it is written in a particular genre. And we have to make sure that we understand what that genre is so that we can properly interpret it. Um, so the book of 1 Samuel is historical narrative. You've already heard me say that a couple times, which I want to, to encourage you to think of as history with an agenda. We often want to think of history as being unbiased, right? Like it's a textbook, and it's just telling us facts about what happened. However, this story is told by an author with an intent, and he is writing with that intent in mind. We need to remember that these stories are not unbiased. These facts and these particular things were chosen by the author for a particular reason. We need to think about this through the ancient Near Eastern lens. In an ancient Near Eastern culture, history was not unbiased. And so this author is writing to try to persuade the people of a particular thing. And so as we cover 110 years of history in 31 chapters, we need to be asking the question, why? Why did the author choose this thing? Why this number? Why did he choose to tell us this number 12? Why is that important? Why did he include this fact in here? Every single thing that that author included is important for, his, for the message that he wants the audience to understand. We also need to remember that as we read historical narrative, that not every scene and not every story intends to teach a moral lesson. Sometimes we read these stories and we're like, okay, how does this teach me about how to behave? And that can get a little messy because we're going to read some stories where we're like, oh, I don't know how that teaches me to behave because nothing looks good here. So we need to remember not every single story is meant to teach us a moral lesson. Instead, a better question to ask as we read these stories is what does this story teach me about who God is? God is the main character of this narrative, not Samuel, not Saul, and not David. And so we need to be careful with those moral application lessons. Finally, we want to consider what the central themes are. There are a lot of them through the book of 1 Samuel, um, a lot of themes that are started. We already talked about that idea of the anointed one, that we're going to see that theme start. Um, and so we see this idea of God's anointed one and how God is going to bring the anointed one into the world. We're also going to see that God's kingdom looks very, very different than earthly kingdoms. That's an immediate tension that's going to be set up for us as we enter into this story. We're going to see that the kingdom that the people want to establish is not the kingdom of God. And God is constantly going to tell his people over and over again that his kingdom is better. We're going to see that there's going to be a movement in this narrative from a theocracy, which is a kingdom ruled by priests. So a theocracy 
to a monarchy, which is a kingdom um, ruled by kings. And so we're going to see this shift in the history of the Israelites. And this is a major shift because up until this point, they have been ruled by judges or priests. And that ruling has kind of just been within tribes. There has not been a central leader over all of them. We're going to see in this story that when power is abused by God's people, it does not stop God's plans. God's providence and God's sovereignty is going to continue no matter what. And that is going to be a major theme as we read over this. Finally, we're going to see the importance of obedience over sacrifice. And the question is going to be raised again and again, what does God require more, sacrifice or obedience? The other thing we're going to see a lot of in the book of 1 Samuel is we're going to see contrasts. Our author is going to be continually setting up contrasts for us. And a lot of times it's between people. We're going to see two people that are just complete opposites of each other. But sometimes it's also going to be events or or groups of people. And so we're going to see a few different contrasts that I want to highlight for you so you can be on the lookout for them. We will see a contrast of the strong versus the weak. Okay, the strong versus the weak. Think David and Goliath, right? We're going to see a contrast of the proud versus the humble. The proud versus the humble. You'll see that right away even in week one. External appearance versus internal character. External appearance versus internal character. We'll see the righteous versus the unrighteous. And we will see the sovereignty of God up against human agendas. The sovereignty of God versus human agendas. I'm really, really excited um, to be studying this text with you guys. I think this is a beautiful piece of literature, and I think there is a lot that we are going to learn as we go through 1 Samuel. I want to end by reading from the book of Isaiah for us. Um, This is Isaiah 55, and I'm going to start in verse 8 and go through verse 11. Um, But I want to look at verses 8 through 9 first. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I want to pause there after those first two verses. I think as we talk about 1 Samuel, one thing that is going to be on display over and over again is God's sovereignty. That God's thoughts are higher than the thoughts of the people of Israel. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways do not match the ways of humans. Over and over again in this book, we're going to see that these humans, these people of Israel have an agenda. But God's providence, his sovereignty is going to prevail no matter what. And so if you look for one thing in the text each week, I would encourage you, how do you see God's sovereignty in the story? Because over and over again, we're going to see that God's will will happen with or without his people's cooperation. Continuing in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, it says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that comes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing to which for which I sent it. So my encouragement for you would come from these last verses that we see in Isaiah. 
I think there's going to be times, I'm guessing, as you study the Bible over the next 10 weeks, where it's going to feel like it's not doing anything. There are going to be times where it just feels like words, where you read the narrative and you just walk away and possibly feel like, I don't really know how that changes anything. Or, I just read that text and I don't think I got anything out of it. I just want to read this again, what God says about his word. He compares his word, so his, his word, his life-giving word in the Bible, to the rain and to the snow. And he says it comes down from heaven, and it does not return there. Rain and snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth. They make it bring forth and sprout, and they give bread to the eater. And so he says, my word is the same way. Water does not come down to the earth and just return and do nothing. But one thing we need to realize about watering the earth is sometimes it takes time. We don't see the immediate effects of rain and snow, do we? That happens over time as that rain nourishes the soil and then it brings forth and sprouts. And God says, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. I think that is so important for us to remember. And maybe you need to write this verse down. It's Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. So that when you come through those moments in your study time where you feel frustrated, or maybe you have a moment or a week when you're like, I don't have time to be in God's word this week, go back to this verse and remember. The seeds that we are sowing now, the things that we are pouring into ourselves now, it will sprout later. God's word, he tells us it does not return void. That has nothing to do with you and I. All we need to be is faithful to be in it. You might not see immediate effects. There might be times where you walk away and you feel just like, eh, kind of empty. Or there might be times where you feel overflowing with joy because of the promises that you read. But either way, God says it does not return void. And so we need to look at this time as making deposits in the bank. We will reap the benefits of studying God's word. We will reap the benefits of learning and knowing for ourselves who the God is that we serve. And so I encourage you that this time is so valuable. The time that you spend doing your independent study matters. And so enjoy that time even when maybe it is not always enjoyable. I'm going to go ahead and close in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to send you back to your groups. Yes. The very last one was sovereignty of God versus human agendas. Yeah. Second to last was the righteous versus the unrighteous. Yeah. All right, ladies, go ahead and bow your heads, and we'll close in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you so much for this promise that we see in Isaiah that it will not return void. Um, you command it and you say, and so we trust that, Lord. We trust that this time that we spend studying your word, reading your word, is going to bear fruit in our lives. Um, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for that fruit that's going to change us um, and help us to live better as uh, followers of you. Lord, I pray that as we study over the next semester that we wouldn't just be gaining knowledge just so we can be smarter or more knowledgeable about the Bible, uh, but that we would constantly be looking for ways in which this word teaches us about who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would change us, that we would be transformed into people who love you better because we know who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just protect our time. Help us to find the time we need in our day-to-day -day schedules to be able to be um, disciplined about being in your word. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be consistent in being here together so that we might be in rich fellowship with one another and we might be able to provide encouragement to our sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for this time, and we thank you for the words that were written in the book of 1 Samuel. We so look forward to, to this, Lord, and how you're going to teach us and shape us through the next semester. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.